Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. First of all, Aristarchus. Aristarchus is mentioned several times uh, in Scripture, but not a lot uh, is said beyond uh, those uh, mentions. But what is said about Aristarchus indicates that he had been through quite a lot. And I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about this man named Aristarchus and what he had endured or what he had uh, suffered for the cause of Christ. But if you go back to, to Acts uh, 19, in Acts chapter 19, with that uh, uprising that took place there at, uh, at Ephesus, in verse 29 of Acts 19, that verse says, So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. So Aristarchus was a travel companion to Paul, but in this case at Ephesus, he was one of those ones that was seized and dragged into the theater, no doubt no, not, not knowing whether he was going to die uh, or not at that point in time. Then if you look over at Acts chapter 27, you also see that he was one of those who was with the uh, Apostle Paul uh, on that journey, Acts 27, uh, the voyage to Rome. Uh, when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. Then verse 2 says, So entering a ship of uh, Adramidium, we put to sea, meaning to sail them along the coast of Asia. Now notice, Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. So what do you see thus far? In Acts chapter 19, here's a man that was dragged into the arena, not knowing if he's going to live or die, seized by those who were in this riot. Now he's on board the ship with Paul as they are sailing to Rome. And you know the rest of that story, don't you? The voyage to Rome with shipwreck. At one point in time, the soldiers were ready to kill all of the prisoners. That would have included uh, uh, Aristarchus, most likely who would have been killed, could have died in the shipwreck. So he had been through all of that. And then we come back to the present text in Colossians chapter 4, and the Apostle Paul mentions him here as what? My fellow prisoner. Now, it is a possibility that he used the term figuratively, meaning <coughs> my prisoner in the Lord, but I doubt that that's the case. I would take it on face value that since Paul was in prison at that time, and he calls Aristarchus his fellow prisoner, that Aristarchus was also in prison at that time. Now, how much have you thought about Aristarchus? I frankly admit I hadn't thought a whole lot about him, but as I began to prepare this lesson, I began to think more about the need to think more about Aristarchus. And people like that. Not a whole lot is said. Basically passing references from the standpoint of no elaboration, but what is said tells you volumes about the kind of man Aristarchus was. And it also tells you volumes about what he had suffered and what he was willing to suffer as a traveling companion to Paul, as a faithful brother in Christ, and now as a fellow prisoner. And Paul says, he sends you greetings. What it tells me about Aristarchus is 
that he suffered some very serious challenges in his life as a Christian. And yet, even to this point in time, after suffering those challenges, he met those challenges successfully, and even now, he is a faithful fellow prisoner of the Apostle Paul. But then Mark is mentioned in this uh, same 10th verse. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. What does he say about him here? If he comes to you, welcome him. Well, remember the situation with Paul and uh, Barnabas? when they began to, the, to think about the second missionary journey, when they went on the first missionary journey, beginning there in Acts chapter 13, and they came to Perga in Pamphylia, what happened? John Mark was with them. Mark turned around and went home. We're not told why Mark went home at that point in time. All that's been speculated that they were about to cross some very challenging mountain ranges and and that Mark wasn't much of a mountain climber, apparently, and that he uh, just went home. We don't know why he went home. But we do know this. When it came time to consider a second missionary journey, and Barnabas wanted to take Mark with them again, Paul said no. Paul, obviously, for whatever reason John Mark had for leaving them on the first journey, Paul was not impressed favorably by his reason. And he did not want to take Mark with them on that second journey. What happened? Paul took Silas and Barnabas took uh, Mark. And they went their separate ways. They had a disagreement. Uh, it was not a doctrinal disagreement. It was a personal matter. But they had some sharp contention, we're told in Scripture about it. And ultimately it led to that separation. But good was done in that both of those couples went on journeys that resulted in precious souls being won to Christ, obviously. And now we see that whatever has occurred has been favorable in Paul's mind so that now he is in a position to recommend Mark. He's in a position to recommend him, which says that no grudges were held and that obviously John Mark had proved himself to be uh, worthy as far as Paul was concerned, and so now he recommends him. But if you look over at 2 Timothy 4, Paul's last epistle, and verse 11, you find something else that is very complimentary of John Mark at this point in Paul's life. He says here as he nears the end of his life, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Get Mark and bring him with you. The same Mark that he said is not going with us on this second missionary journey. He now says, Paul does, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. And so that's a positive thing, that John Mark obviously proved himself uh, to be worthy of uh, Paul's confidence, and that Paul was obviously not the kind of man to say, well, you, uh, you left us once, and as far as I'm concerned, that's it. No. Paul was not that kind of man, nor should we be that kind of individual. People do make mistakes. I don't know what John Mark's mistake was uh, as Paul viewed it on that first missionary journey, but whatever it was, Paul didn't take kindly to it initially. But the Apostle Paul was the kind of man who could appreciate the growth that obviously he felt had occurred in John Mark and that he became a useful fellow worker in the kingdom. Then verse 11. And Jesus, who is called Justice, we mentioned a moment ago, that's all we know about this man, Jesus, who is called 
justice. He's mentioned here and nowhere else in Scripture. But there's quite a bit that we can appreciate about him from this mention. Why? Because of what else is said in the rest of this verse. Paul says these, he's talking about uh, these three, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. The only ones... Three, three mentioned here who are my fellow workers who are of the circumcision. Think about that. How many there were there in Rome of Jewish background who could have been an encouragement to the Apostle Paul. And yet these were the only three of those who had come out of Judaism who were there encouraging him and Jesus called justice is one of them and so that's all we know about Jesus called justice but what I do know about him is this he was a comfort to the great apostle Paul at a very crucial time in Paul's life which tells me I may not be known to many folks you may not be known to many folks but we're known to God if we are doing what God would have us do as Jesus, who is called justice, was doing at this time. He provided some much-needed comfort to Paul. I mentioned that word comfort uh, as compared to the, verse in, uh, the word comfort in verse 8. The word in verse 8 indicates an encouragement to encourage. But the word comfort here is from a different word in the original, and you recognize it as paragoric. Paragoric, soothing relief. You've got stomach problems, paragoric, I guess. If your little child has stomach problems, it can be a soothing relief to the child and to the parent as well, can't it? I'm sure. Paragoric, a word we get from the original here, indicating like a medicine, soothing relief. Now, that's what Jesus called justice was to the Apostle Paul. I consider that quite significant, although that's the only mention we ever have of this man, Jesus called justice and these other two who are mentioned with him and then in verses 12 through 15 and we'll close with these verses and conclude the epistle uh, the Lord willing next week Epaphras is mentioned in verse 12 Epaphras who is one of you a bondservant of Christ greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in his house. There's quite a bit in uh, these verses right here that we can glean, not just from this man uh, called Epaphras, but from some other statements uh, that are made. But Epaphras is our primary, our primary emphasis here. What kind of man was he? We've talked about him already as we studied uh, this epistle because back at chapter 1 and verse 7, Paul refers to him saying, As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. 
And uh, we talked a little bit about him last time when the admonition was given back at verse 2 of this chapter. Continue earnestly in prayer. Now we come to this verse, verse 12, where we see an example of a man who was a praying man indeed. One who was fervent in his prayer life. Notice he says, always laboring fervently. Laboring fervently is from a word that we get our word agonize. The agonizing. He agonized for them in prayer. That's how fervent his prayer life was. That's how sincere and fervent his prayers were. The figure is that of an athlete striving mightily in the Olympic Games. That's how Epaphras prayed. That's how he prayed. Now, it takes a spiritually minded man to be characterized as Paul characterized this man in his prayer life. And the specifics, some of them are given concerning those prayers of Epaphras. For you, that you may stand perfect. That's the idea of being complete or whole. But then he says complete, and that's another word meaning full. So that you would be complete and full. Perfect and full is the idea. Go back to Colossians 2.10, a verse we alluded to in our introduction. Colossians 2.10, and you are complete in him. That's the same idea as being full. Full to the brim, if you will. You are completely filled in Christ, and his admonition here is, or his plea in his prayer life for them, is that they would fill up their lives with the will of God. And oh, what a worthy goal that is for every single one of us, that we would fill up our lives, fill our hearts to the brim, as it were, in all the will of God. And then he says, for I bear him witness that he has a great zeal, a great zeal for you. And those who were in Laodicea, those in Hierapolis, these were nearby churches in the Lycus Valley in the area of Colossae. He has a great zeal for all of you. And remember Laodicea? Laodicea apparently was doing okay here. But in the Revelation letter, chapter 3, verse 15, beginning, Laodicea was in a lot of trouble, as the Lord made abundantly clear through the apostle John. But then he mentions Luke. And oh, we could spend some time talking about Luke, couldn't we? The beloved physician. Where else do we learn that Luke was a doctor? Nowhere else. This is it. He's mentioned three times in Scripture, but this is the only reference that refers to him as a physician. And I'm sure he was a beloved physician to the Apostle Paul, wouldn't you think? As he traveled with him and the Apostle Paul had needs of a doctor from time to time because of... Uh, the persecution that he endured, I do not doubt that Luke, the beloved physician, a brother in Christ, was also a big help to the Apostle Paul from the standpoint of his medical uh, knowledge. But this is the only reference we have to him as a uh, physician. But he was a traveling companion uh, of the Apostle Paul, and you can go back to Acts chapter 16 and look at verses 8 and 10 and then go over to 17.1 and then to 20 and verse 6, and you can trace Luke's travels with Paul. It seems that when they came to Philippi, that Luke stayed at Philippi, and then the others moved on, then Paul came back to Philippi, and you can look at the pronouns, we and they, and see where, where Luke left them and where Luke rejoined them. Uh, but he was one who was an encourager and traveling companion of, 
uh, the Apostle Paul. But then Demas is mentioned. Demas. He's also mentioned in Philemon, verse 24. And there uh, he is considered to be faithful. Uh, as uh, the Philemon letter, written about this same time, so uh, at about the same time the Colossian letter was written, the Philemon letter was written, and Demas is considered there in verse 24 of Philemon a fellow laborer. But tragically, there's another reference to Demas later on as Paul writes his final epistle, and that's 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10, where he writes, for Demas has forsaken me. Demas has forsaken me. Why? Having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Many mentioned others who had left, but specifically Demas apostatized. Can you imagine spending that much time with a man like the Apostle Paul, seeing that example, hearing that teaching, seeing the miraculous gifts being manifested time and time again, being privy to all of that, and then leaving because you love this present world. Tradition says he opened a brothel somewhere, I can't remember where, and I don't know if that's the case, but could very well have been loving the present world. Well, it's simply a sobering reminder that even those who under the best of circumstances and in the best of associations with the best of people, they couldn't get any better than the Apostle Paul in terms of companion, the world can still move in and move us out of Christ. And therefore, it behooves us to redouble our efforts to constantly apply ourselves, as we talked about this morning, to doing the will of the Father which includes growing and developing spiritually so that we are stronger every day, so that we will not, as Demas did, depart from the truth, loving this present world. Well, verse 15, with which we'll close tonight, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Some translations read, and Nymphus and the church that is in her house. Uh, one translation reads, and the church that is in their house. <laughs> Nymphus is a, is a name that can be either masculine or feminine. And it really doesn't matter whether this is a woman or, uh, or a man. Uh, it could have been a woman like Lydia, uh, who with her household obeyed the gospel, and there was no man in the household. And uh, the church would have met, obviously, in her house. But nonetheless, Nymphus, man or woman, was meeting uh, along with others in what? A house. And remember, in the first century, the church didn't have buildings. And references like this can be found in Romans 16.5 and 1 Corinthians 16.19, churches that were in private houses. That's where they were. Well, the Lord willing... We'll conclude our study of, of this great uh, epistle the next time. And we'll concentrate on three words next time in verse 18 that are very important words. Remember my chains. Remember my chains. 
What all could be involved there? We'll talk about that, the Lord willing, next time. Well, tonight we have looked at some very important men. Not important from the standpoint of how well-known they were in their time, but important because they did the work of the Lord. They did it unselfishly. They did it sacrificially. They did it without, uh, without a great deal of pomp and circumstance. They did it for the right reason, not looking for any accolades from men, but simply seeking to serve the Lord. And that should be our goal and our determination to do the same. But it cannot be your goal or determination unless you are and until you are first in Christ. Then and only then can your labors be truly for him. Tonight, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, we plead with you to do that in believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, repenting of your sins, confessing Jesus to be the Christ, and then being buried with him in baptism for the remission of sins. If you need to come home to your first love as a wayward child of God who has allowed the world, as did Demas, to intervene and to disrupt your fellowship with the God of heaven and with your brothers and sisters in Christ, we plead with you to come home. As we stand to sing, will you come?